Hey community, welcome to our sermon podcast for wanderers, seekers, and thinkers, for deconstructing and reconstructing. This is a feed of Open Door Church, a faith community focused on God's love and grace, a progressive church built around action, community, and people. Enjoy this week's message and check back often as we're posting new content every week. Ready? Here we go. Here we go. It's time. Our series, Shalom, is bigger than just peace. We have a, we have a hard time in the English language because peace has such a, signif- such a particular or specific meaning most of the time. But we use it in other ways. We talk about inner peace. We talk about uh, making peace. We talk, we talk about other things, but almost... Almost always, we're ta- we're speaking in terms of the absence of war, and uh, and and this is a struggle for us to get the full concept of shalom. And many have tried, and many have worked on it. And so, this is probably not new conversation for you. But uh, but the significance of shalom in the Hebrew language and in our biblical text is so is such a big deal that I felt like we, we should spend a significant amount of time working through it and talking through uh, what this looks like and all, the, all of its different aspects. In part of that, and we, we will do a, like a creation-specific week uh, where we talk about shalom and, uh, and God's order within creation, within our, our universe, and in doing that and thinking about the land, I want to make sure that, that each week as we walk through this, that we are acknowledging uh, the land that we sit on, which is the unceded territories of the Katesi and Kwantlen First Nations. And uh, because, we're, because we're talking about finding that peace within our fuller community, that's a part of our conversation or should be part of our conversation here as we think about uh, as we think about what this what shalom means for us, okay, I want to set the stage this morning because because we have we don't have the same kind of liturgical sense about things and we don't have the same stuff. I want to talk about this morning a few things that occur in the Jewish tradition that we've lost as we've moved things over to English and, and focus less on Hebrew scriptures and don't have the tradition of many of the rabbis that came uh, after Jesus. And, uh, and so, so I want to spend a few minutes each week kind of highlighting that. Uh, one of the interesting things is, is how this word shows up. So last week we did the, you know, shalom or peace be with you or Shalom Aleichem, or Assalamu Aleichem, right? We, we have all of these. It is a constant in our, not ours usually, but in our global, our global language, this idea, this concept of, of peace as a greeting and as a blessing. And, uh, and one of the things that is interesting uh, is that in a Torah service, which is a Jewish specific service around uh, the Torah teaching, they close with a blessing every single service. And I want to read that for you this morning. And then 
and then talk about why that matters and why this, this is significant in that, in that context. So I'm going to read just for a second from, uh, this is Rabbi Rachel Gartner, and, and she's writing about the Torah service, and she says, uh, she says, first, let's set the scene. With grand music and beautiful liturgy, we take the Torah from the Aran HaKodesh, the Ark. Then we parade the Torah around the sanctuary, kiss it, sing blessings over the reading of it, hear it chanted, listen to the drash, the sermon, dress the Torah in its garments, parade it again, and return it to its home in the Aran. We then conclude this powerful service by reciting again the words from Proverbs 3.17. She is a tree of life to those who hold fast to it, and all her paths lead to peace. She is a tree of life for those who hold fast to it, and all her paths lead to peace. So in Proverbs, the she is wisdom. But when you place it as a specific liturgical element at the end of a service on the Torah, what you end up doing is you, is you make a claim about the reading of Scripture. You make a claim that the reading of the wisdom of Scripture comes, brings value in that it leads us to peace or to shalom. And the statement about the, about the Torah, about Scripture, all her paths lead to peace. It says that when you study, it should lead you to peace. When you read, it should lead you to peace. When you commune together and have conversation about Scripture, it should lead you to peace. Again, a broader sense of the term as we think about, uh, as we think about peace being beyond in terms of welfare, in terms of order, in terms of the communal gathering and unity that happens when a community is working and serving and, and worshiping together. That's what Scripture is supposed to do in all of its fullness. The next thing that, uh, that she notes is that two times there's another specific prayer that's done or blessing that's done specifically when they study the Talmud, which is another one of their scriptures, when they study the Talmud, uh, when they close a study, they have a blessing of shalom over the study. And very similarly, the statement is, when you're reading together, when you're studying together, it should lead to peace. Here's the the Kaddish that concludes with the words, May the one who makes shalom above cause shalom to come upon us, upon all Israel and and upon the world. When they study the text, they close with those words. Because when you study together, it should lead to shalom. Another great tradition, the same blessing is read at uh, a teacher or a rabbi's uh, funeral in a sense of saying everything that has been taught, everything that has been studied, every, all the work that has been done 
in this person's life should lead to shalom. So when I say that all of Scripture should lead us this way, or when that a central theme of the biblical text should be this idea, this concept of of a holistic peace in our community and in our world, I'm not sugar, like that's not like projecting something, that's not this big grandiose concept, that is a very real sense of the way that shalom works throughout the biblical text. We, we miss this because we don't have some of those traditions. But if we think about every great teaching or every great moment of study or every significant time that we sit down together on Saturday night when we sit down and discuss life together and faith and the text, all of those moments are leading to shalom. And they do it naturally. We don't think about this that much, but they do it naturally in the sense that as you sit together and break bread together, you share life together and grow closer in unity and peace and shalom. I was reading yesterday, we have some of the most divisive politics in, we'll just say North America, right now, more than at any other time. In the States, one in six, get this, one in six people have stopped talking to a family member or a close friend because of the 2016 election. One in six. I'm having conversations with a friend right now on council, and I said the other night, Jenna didn't like this statement, but I was like, like this is, this is going to ruin our relationship. These conversations that we're having about Anita Place where I'm being honest, they're going to ruin our relationship. And I'm looking for a path forward, and and honestly, without being direct, I don't know it. Without, uh, sorry, if I'm being direct, I don't see a path forward. And that's what I was really trying to say. That resulted in a lecture, by the way. Don't tell her I said that. This is, this is part of our world, and right now we are struggling to understand how our conversations and how our lives can move us and our, and our debates can move us closer to shalom. But this is a pivotal piece in our story. In the Hebrew Scripture, our Old Testament, um, all there are lots and lots of things that you're supposed to do or not do. And they all have attached with them a, a, a consequence or a way to respond. And they all, they are all, some of them are very specific, uh, the types of food you can eat, uh, how you wear your clothing, and whether you're, you've mixed fabrics and all kinds of things that, that most of us pay no attention to. But in all of that, there is only one command that has a directive to go and pursue and go and find and go and seek, and that is seeking peace or shalom. 
in Psalms, uh, Psalm 34, the poet writes, Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. There's only one command that you're supposed to go and pursue. Like you're, you are chasing after something that is so significant that you have to spend all of your days and all of your time, and that is this concept of shalom or peace. We talk about the, the Ten Commandments of the do-nots and do-nots and do-nots. Almost all of them, when shaped positively, even in the negative statement, but when you think about them in the positive, what it means that they are creating, they are almost all creating a, whole, a holistic sense of our community, a place of Shalom, a place where we can live and be and respect and care for one another. That is what shalom means at its core. And even in the, the thing that we're all running from, the do nots, and trying to reshape our religion and understand in a, in a healthier way what we're all supposed to be doing, even at the core of that, if we look closer and dig deeper, we find that even those do nots are really shaped for the purpose of finding peace and shalom in our community. We lose all of this in the English and our tradition. Just briefly, I want to, I don't do this often because they're difficult, but we have a lot of texts in, in our Hebrew scripture that are difficult to deal with. So we're talking about peace, there's violence, there, is, uh, there are struggles, there are commandments, there are things that we, we find difficult. There's uh, sacrifices, there, there are uh, laws against women, and, and all kinds of things that we, we have to step back and go, I'm not sure how to touch or deal or, or whatever. But one thing that, that I have to think about when I'm reading through Scripture is some have put it sort of like an arc of Scripture. And I don't know that we need to talk about an arc of Scripture or, or the development, but I do know they're written at different times by different people in different places with different purposes. And one of the things that I found significant in reading on peace and shalom is that Chronicles and Kings kind of tell the same stories. But... Chronicles is written at a much later time period. And in Chronicles, which is telling the, the rise and fall of the Hebrew people and, the, and Israel as a state, there is very little, well, the conquest of Canaan, which is like a struggle for me, <laughs> the conquest of Canaan, is not even mentioned an author is telling the rise of Israel and does not mention the conquest of Canaan. On top of that, when referencing the building of the temple, let me find it real quick, uh, there's a distinction. Kings references David not being able to build the temple. And as Kings puts it, Kings writes... Kings writes, you know that because of the wars waged against my father David from all sides, hear the language again, you know that because of the wars waged against my father David from all sides, he could not build a temple for the name of the Lord his God 
until the Lord put his enemies under his feet. Because of the wage, the wars waged against him. So David becomes passive. He becomes defensive. Uh, he could not build the temple because he was busy defending God's people. But listen to Chronicles, which is written later and is recognizing the struggle for peace and the, the struggle against war, we could say. But this word of the Lord came to me. We're in First Chronicles 22. You have shed much blood and you have fought many wars. You are not to build a house for my name because you have shed much blood on the earth in my sight. Chronicles envisions this very differently and puts this huge statement saying, not just because you're busy, not because you're defending Israel, not because you are fighting for what God has granted you. No, because you have shed blood, you cannot build my temple. That's a powerful statement about war and peace in our scripture in a story about the rise of the Davidic kingdom. When we move to the story on the prophets, the prophets are relentless about caring for people and creating a holistic place for all people to be able to to live and breathe and do life together. The prophets are concerned about shalom from the greatest to the least. And when the prophets see in that same Davidic kingdom the struggle for some to even survive and the, the weight placed upon them by their leaders, the prophets always speak out. But just like now, there was a time of fake news. Let's talk about fake news for a second. Just for a second. Because here's what's happening in this story. This is a story of fake news. We're doing too much today. You'll have to sort this all out in your own heads later. In a time of fake news, this week our, our local newspaper quoted our mayor saying something to the effect of we are being held hostage by 14 people referencing Anita Place, Tent City. Uh, most of you have been there. Is the mayor confused about how many people are there? Absolutely not. Is the mayor intentionally using a piece of information to shade the conversation and create dissent among our community? Absolutely. It is part of what my skeptical brain sees. It is part of what leaders do when they need things to go their way. And in the text, it is no different. And we're watching it in the States. That's what's so sad is watching this trend move from, from the States to here. But, uh, but we're watching these conversations where misinformation is used intentionally to mislead and create division and to gain power so that we can inflict our will 
over situations. Almost always over people that have less power, less authority, less control. This is how uh, Micah puts this. Because this is not new. This is what the Lord says. As for the prophets who lead my people astray, they proclaim peace if they have something to eat. So when things are fine for them, they proclaim peace in the land. When things go awry, they prepare to wage war against anyone who refuses to help. Sometimes I really like the message. I find myself recommending it a lot. I want to read you how the message writes this because I think they get to the heart of it. Here is God's message to the prophets. The preachers who lie to my people. For as long as they're well-paid and well-fed, the prophets preach, isn't life wonderful? Peace to all. But if you don't pay up and jump on their bandwagon, they're, in quotes they put this, their God bless you turns into a God damn you. Let it sink. When you proclaim peace in a land when there isn't peace, it's to cover up and lift up the status quo. And we watch it over and over and over, but it leaves people on the underside of that bubble, wherever that is, left in the cold. Here, literally, left in the cold. Peace is this big, grand concept that should be leading every conversation and every reading of Scripture to something more whole in our community, in our own lives, in our own understanding, in our families, in our churches. And yet, we sit by and allow our Scripture to be used for division. We sit by and allow our our community's conversations and life together to be led by division, and by hate. That article about, uh, that referenced the one in six people that have left, that have ended a family or, or friend communication over the... goes on to say, we have a huge division among how we view our own motives and how we view the other's motives. I've already exemplified this for you today. For myself, I'm leading with love. I just want to care for people and love everyone. Someone who wants the camp gone, well, they're leading with hate. They don't care about people. They don't want anything. My motives placed on them, highly negative, and on myself, highly positive. That's normal. That's part of humanity. However, that division is part of the confrontation. It's part of preventing us from finding peace and shalom in our world. 
it was quite interesting. We were down there um, quite a bit while they were removing things and and uh, registering people like like a prison camp and stuff like that. And and one of the most interesting things that I found is people coming that weren't sure where they stood. Most people there were either for the camp or against the camp. And those people butting heads was chaos. But there were some people there that are going, why is this happening? And can't this be sort of like, aren't there like lots of things that we need to do to help this get better? And But you know what? That person, and I watched this happen four or five different times in this conversation. That person who was trying to be in the middle somewhere was in conflict with one or the other, for or against, and it was just as intense as the for and against. So someone in the middle going, well, they shouldn't be on the street. How do we solve this? Just as problematic. Because we don't have this guidance, this thought process toward peace in everything that we do. She is a tree of life to those who hold fast to it, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who hold fast to it, and all her paths are peace. Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Open Door Church. Our intro and outro music was created by Lee Rosevere and is used under a Creative Commons by Attribution license. Have a great week. Ask the hard questions and explore God's love. Everyone is always welcome to join the journey with us at Open Door. Learn more at opendoorfamily.ca. That's opendoorfamily.ca.